The Washington Wizards and Capitals are moving to Virginia, unless they're not. We have some fresh reporting there, plus more details on Shohei Otani's unprecedented contract, and a look at how MLB is trying to get you interested in its prospects. Plus, we'll hear about what it takes to put on a bowl game from someone deeply immersed in that process. It's Friday, December 15th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. The Washington Wizards and Capitals could be headed to Virginia, but there are a lot of moving parts there. Joining me now to discuss is front office sports senior reporter AJ Perez. Welcome, AJ. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, great to have you on. So Ted Leonsis, owner of Monumental Sports and Entertainment, which owns the Capitals and Capitals and Wizards, uh, says he has a framework deal in place with Virginia lawmakers. How done is this deal to move those teams? Not even close. Um, it's a non-binding agreement, which means the, the $500 million that legislation that was promised by the D.C. mayor on Tuesday night, a couple hours after word got going, basically got this uh, kind of – gave him close to what Ted Leonsis, the owner of the Capitals, Wizards, Mystics, Monumental Sports. Uh, he, you know, he was seeking up to $600 million to refurbish Capital One Arena, which is downtown D.C., um, and uh, that were, there was no movement, you know, as Mayor Bowser was going after um, the Washington Commanders for their for their new stadium, possibly bring it back to RFK. Um, I don't know if Ted Leonsis thought he was being left out with the, with that, but it's uh, he, you know, the, the government of DC responded with some money, um, you know, for five hundred million, close to what he wanted to refurbish Capital One Arena. Now, does that change anything? They kept they, I I I, I wrote the story, so I I I asked uh, the people over you know below Ted Leotis about you know, whether you know whether they're going to move forward but they're already building tents up for that precedent so they, they they move forward but there's so many things and this was kept so quiet because really all the things you need to do I haven't been done yet so that means transportation checking with the, with all the local transportation authorities um, including Metro which is about to close that station down because of budget cuts uh, where the Potomac Yards is going to be. Um, there's there's a lot of things that need to get done that haven't been done. I wouldn't say I wouldn't call it premature this announcement because I'm sure there's some real details, uh, and there were real details yesterday that we that we found out. But there's still so much so much has to be done um, before we get to an official it's it's actually happening kind of moment. So yeah, as you as you said, Washington D.C. is also trying to keep these teams. You know, the, the mayor there is is working toward that. Um, do you have a sense if between Virginia and D.C., one of them is the desired location and the other is the leverage to get the hundreds of millions of dollars out of the desired location? Or is it a, a true fight here? I think it's, it's going to develop into something. And now it's, it, it, is it, is it going to be, well, D.C.'s given us 500. Will Virginia, Alexandria give us seven or 800? We don't know the, those details. And this is something that the Washington commanders looked at this site. It was too small for a football stadium. There's been other, you know, there's, there's been other, you know, there's, this has been in the mix before, but it's, there's going to be, there needs to be some kind of, there, you know, Dan Snyder had a lot of, when he was still owner of the commanders, had a lot of lobbyists in Richmond um, in, 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 you know, lobbying legislators on both sides of the aisle, you know, and he could, well, granted it was Dan Snyder and he had a bunch of investigations going on um, that Leonsis is pretty well beloved around here. It's totally different. But there's a lot of things that, you know, a, you know this is not going to be a slam dunk. And I'm sure little, little, I'm sure the city of Alexandria, the mayor probably is on board. For sure is on board. But there's a lot of, you need more than just that. So it's going to be, it's going to, we're not going to, they, this, they, the source told me they want to break around in 2025. I'm like, that is, 
that's going to be very, very, very difficult. I just don't, a lot of things have to happen very quickly. And really that process hasn't started yet. And just to back this up to a basic geography question here, you know, DC, obviously neighbors, Virginia and Maryland, will this stadium basically be in the same area uh, or is it, or are they sort of moving out of, out of, you know, that, that basic region? Yeah. If the, if the Potomac river didn't exist, they'd be, you know, you could walk there. It's only five, six miles. Uh, and it, it, that, but it's the Potomac river is there. So you have bridges you have to deal with. There's traffic from DC, which is always bad. Um, near there uh you know the alexandria there's there's bridges that go towards dc from there uh you know metro all the, it's there there is a metro station at, at potomac yard so that even though you know there's some budget cuts and it may be closed until this until this arena opens if it opens uh so there's uh there's you know there, there there's that element so it is this it, really they're like as you know a stone's throw they're very you know or as the bird flies however the saying goes it, they're close but it's a different state and you have the potomac river you have um and also there's certain parts of northern virginia that are hard to get to to alexander there's certain parts of northern virginia especially maryland and now dc where the fans will have to travel make more of an effort to get to these events and that doesn't even go into what's going to happen to capital one once they move right yeah and that was going to be the last thing i asked you what happens, assuming they do move, or if they do move, what happens to Capital One Arena? And does anything happen with the Washington Mystics? Yeah, that's all. Mystics got, just got a new arena a few years ago, and it's they're a different part of D.C. Um, and, you know, things are going well there, as far as we can tell. I, I, don't, I haven't heard any complaints about it. Um, they, they used to play at Capital One Arena uh, up until uh, about four or five years ago, three or four years ago. So, so they... Um, you know, so they want to bring them back, maybe. Um, and then Georgetown basketball is going to be there. Then concerts. But the concert thing makes will make very little sense. Uh, I mean, even keeping that arena open will make very little sense because it's going to cost tens of million dollars a year. Even if it sits empty, that's still upkeep. You have to do, unless you're going to mothball it and just not use it. That's not going to happen. They're going to either have to tear it down or just totally redo it, make it smaller, make it less costly to operate. And that's going to take money. But there's... if the commanders moved to RFK. We don't know yet. It's still a while, a while off. Are they going to be, um, are you're going to have a new arena, a new football stadium, almost hundred percent will be a dome stadium. So you got concerts and, and other venues and other events. Why would they go to capital one? You have a new arena in Alexandria, a new football stadium in RFK that, that, that further reduces the value and the use case for keeping capital one as it is. We'll be looking back on this conversation at some point, um, you know, once, once this all shakes out. But very interesting stuff right now. AJ Perez, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. With every new report, the Shohei Otani contract gets weirder. First, we learned that it was for $700 million. Then we learned that $680 million of that is deferred. Now, more is trickling out. The contract provides for an interpreter. It gives Otani a suite at Dodger Stadium for all regular and postseason games. It stipulates that Otani will donate up to 1% of his contract to team charities. And here's where things get weird and probably unprecedented. If either controlling owner Mark Walter or president of baseball operations Andrew Friedman leaves the organization, Otani can opt out of his deal at the end of that season. Friedman likely already had very good job security, but this is a decade-long deal. A lot can change in 10 years. And one can imagine a scenario where the Dodgers owners are thinking of getting rid of Friedman, but if they do, they could lose a superstar. On the flip side, there's also a scenario where in, let's say, seven years, the Dodgers are no longer perennial contenders, or even that macroeconomic factors make that $68 million per year that Otani's owed after the deal seem a lot more daunting, or any other reason that they might eventually want him to opt out. 
they could open the exit door for Otani by getting rid of Friedman. It would still be up to him whether or not he walks out. Either way, this deal contractually ties a player to his front office in a way that we have never seen before. Over to a Californian with a different reputation from Shohei Otani, Draymond Green has been suspended indefinitely by the NBA. In the game between Green's Golden State Warriors and the Phoenix Suns on Tuesday, he was being guarded by Yusef Nurkic when he appeared to lose his balance, and as Green was falling, he swung his arms around and hit Nurkic in the face. Green said it was accidental and that he was trying to sell a call against Nurkic. The NBA clearly did not agree. But why this open-ended punishment? Well, as I'm sure you know, Green has a history with little comparison when it comes to this kind of thing. Just this past November, he was suspended for five games for putting Rudy Gobert of the Minnesota Timberwolves in a headlock. Since 2012, Draymond has received over $2.2 million in fines prior to what he's going to lose from this. If you scroll through his list of fines and suspensions, eventually it ends, but it takes a lot longer than you think it's going to. Green is on a brand new $100 million four-year contract, but as the Warriors try to put together a title contender around the core that won four championships since 2012, it's at best unclear what they're going to get from that investment. And finally, Major League Baseball is launching Spring Breakout, a four-day spring training event where each MLB team will form a team of its top prospects to play exhibition games against each other. Twelve of those games will be paired with MLB spring training games and doubleheaders, and many will be broadcast on MLB Network or the league streaming service MLB TV. This, combined with the league's upping the production value of its draft, is an attempt to overcome one of the biggest challenges that MLB has in growing its audience, which is that prospects disappear for years after they're drafted. By contrast, last NFL draft featured top picks like Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, and Anthony Richardson, who immediately became starting quarterbacks for their NFL teams. Same with the NBA, where Victor Wembanyama went straight from being the top pick to the Spurs' starting center. Meanwhile, Paul Skeens and Dylan Cruz, who went first and second in the last MLB draft, can walk down almost any street in the country without being bothered. In fact, in the last MLB season, we only just started to see players emerging from the 2021 draft. Building sustained excitement around these players is a challenge inherent to how the sport is structured. I don't know if there's a real answer to that problem, but MLB is at least giving it a try. Up next, I spoke with Steve Hogan, CEO of Florida Citrus Sports, which puts on the Pop-Tarts Bowl and Cheez-It Citrus Bowl. I had plenty to ask him between what it takes to put on an event of that size to what's the deal with the edible mascot. And that conversation is coming up next. I'm joined now by Florida Citrus Sports CEO, Steve Hogan. Welcome, Steve. Thank you for having me. Great to have you. So you oversee the production of a number of major events, including the Cheez-It Citrus Bowl and the Pop-Tarts Bowl. With bowl games like these, you know, you have two teams taking the game very seriously, trying to win. It's also, you know, something like a celebration of Pop-Tarts in one scenario. How do you balance the serious and the not so serious sides here? Well, you know, it gets easier when you have two great brands that are consumable, I guess, you know, and that most people remember from their childhood. So we start there. I've been in this business a long time, and it's probably a little bit harder to get get the student athletes fired up about, uh, you know, financial services or insurance. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's, you know, it's, it's for the kids. It really is. I know you hear that before, but this industry, you know, 100 plus years old, these postseason opportunities, and obviously that's changed over the generations into the playoff era. But nonetheless, there's probably 
probably a, you know, 1% of these kids are going to get paid to do this for a living. And, you know, in the end, you know, it's our job to show them a week they won't forget. You know, there's been countless NFL players that have had amazing careers that every, you know, I run into them and look back, you know, over the last 15, 20 years, they're like, still today, one of the best, you know, experiences I had, you know, in my college career, I miss it. You know, I miss that week with, with my brothers. And so I think that's what it's all about. First, second, you know, we need, we need to have a competitive game. You know, you want to have something that uh, these teams are excited to be there. They got something to play for going into the next season. In some cases it's, it's, you know, it's a team on the rise, if you will, they're starting to feel good about their program again. And where we pick, you know, at the top of the ACC, SEC, Big Ten, you know, pick second in the Big 12 after the playoff or after the 12 teams, um, you know, you get a lot of teams that are in in that scenario. And so, you know, last year, Oklahoma, Florida State here, you know, was the highest rated game in the country, you know, outside of the the CFP host game. So we're really excited for for that future still. And, you know, that's kind of our job is to balance it with giving them a great competitive environment, a good week of experience, and hopefully having some fun eating Cheez-Its and Pop-Tarts and laughing about it. <laughs> yeah. I imagine there's going to be a lot of orange fingers leaving some of these games. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> um, how far does the planning go for for these events? It's year round, you know, it's uh, a lot of organizations like ours that are, you know, almost eight decades now uh, in the business in, in the cheese and citrus bowl, a lot of history. There a lot of community leaders have been involved. Generations of leaders gone from one to the next in, in great companies and in a much bigger city today than it was then. But people that really care about this opportunity, both economically for the community, uh, what it does in terms of exposure, what it does for college football. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a meaningful opportunity that you're always selling. You know, you're selling annual partnerships, corporate partnerships, um, you know, you're into TV assets. Uh, of course, the relationship business, you know, starts in the spring with these teams. And so uh, it's just it really is a year round job. We happen to have two of them. Uh, we also host the you know one of the largest black college games in, in the country, in the Florida Blue Florida Classic with a uh, fan and BCU um, out of the SWAC. Uh, of course, international soccer matches, you know, Pop Warner for, <laughs> Super Bowl, Cheer National Championship, NFL Pro Bowl, on and on and on. So our organization is is very busy year round, but the bowl business by itself would be enough to handle. Yeah, and I want to hit on some of those events as well. But uh, sticking with bowl games for a moment, uh, how involved are, you know, in this case, Pop-Tarts and Cheez-Its and whatever camping world, whatever other brands you're working with, how are they in the room the whole time? Well, they're in the room throughout the year, you know, um, working on how they're going to leverage and activate their brand. Um, it takes a ton, you know, when you start to dream up edible mascots and, you know, what you're going to do with building out cheese at rooms where literally everything in a hotel room is covered from head to toe and cheese at brand, uh, you know, doing an NIL deal with a couple of players that you just don't do that overnight. These are huge organizations, you know, fortune 500 companies, they do things uh, with a lot of excellence. So that, that takes a lot of work during the course of the year. And they're, you know, kind of quoted, if you're asking if they're in the room, you know, on selection Sunday, they're, they're kind of at least virtually in the room because you want them to be aware of what are our options? What might we do? How do you feel about that? And, um, you know, often they'll have an opinion and should. And that's one of those inputs, along with the conference office and your television partner and your local audience and the teams themselves. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, I'm glad you brought up the edible mascot. Uh, how, how did that idea, you know, get cooked up? 
Well, I get it. You know, Pop-Tarts Agency, you know, they're they're like, hey, what about this? This would be amazing, right? Now, I'm a little freaked out because I have no idea yet how this is going to be executed and, and how we might consume a mascot. But, uh, you know, everybody's kind of all hands on deck working on that right now. I'm just, I, I want to be confident there's, there's nothing live in that in that Pop-Tart mascot by the time these players win the game and <laughs> start consuming. So uh, the Pro Bowl is also coming to Camping World Stadium in Orlando. And, and that's, you know, an event that's moved from, you know, maybe taken more seriously on the field to something that, you know, it's sort of been steadily acknowledged that the players, you know, they're not, they don't want to get hurt. They don't want to hurt anyone. And now it's a flag football event. It kind of seems to fit with the, the tone of some of the other events you do, you know, like these bowl games where there's a seriousness to it, but also it's, it's an entertainment product ultimately. And you, and you lean into that. No, it is. You know, we enjoyed um, hosting the first four um, NFL Pro Bowls on the way back from Hawaii, you know, when they'd been in Hawaii for over three decades, I think. And um, so being first stateside here to, you know, in the lower 48 to host was was a really cool opportunity. And the game did very well here, you know, and it, it was by no stretch, you know, uh, viewed as a, as a playoff atmosphere, right, or anything of that nature. People knew that it was, you know, kind of more of a, a you know, flag football game and pads and, and helmets. And so in the end, it's still selling out, um, packed house, you know, a lot of, you know, star power is all over the field. That, that's the coolest thing, right, is, is fans getting that close to 88 of the best players on the planet. And I think the more that you started to see their personality, I remember that first year Odell Beckham was massive star New York giants, and he's just out there dancing, interacting with the crowd and they, they don't get to see this, you know, they hadn't seen that side of them. And so um, that's what it is. And, and you went out of Las Vegas last year and saw the adaptation of flag, how they, uh, you know, integrated skills around the same stadium field uh, in between all that activity, introduce some entertainment, of course, Chad Snoop and Pete Davidson, and then the Manning brothers, you know, Peyton and Eli as coaches of both teams, and they're back this year. Um, it's kind of a, a smorgasbord, if you will, of just seeing the the personalities of these players close up. And in me, I honestly thought there was a lot of competition on the field. You know, the, the, when you have the best wide receiver, the best DB, um, you know, name, household names, and their helmets are off, you know, it's, you're seeing a mano a mano. Uh, they don't want to get beat. And, and, you know, it's, I thought that the flag game took on a lot of, a lot more of a football look, um, you know, kind of like a seven and seven, an intense seven on seven in practice with the skill positions. And then you, you have fun with the linemen and everything else. They're all getting into the action. To me, I thought it was a better product and, and it showed. You you listed off a bunch of, of events that, that you host at, at Camping World Stadium. Um, I'm wondering what's the, what's the threshold or what's the criteria for when you say, you know, this, this is something for us, this is worth it. You know, everything that goes into it, how do you decide what you want to host? You know, a lot of times, whether it was worth it or not, you know, and I don't remember many that weren't worth it. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I mean, it's kind of, that's a, that's looking back at what, what we did, what we invested in, what we got out of it. But we're, you know, we're, think of us like a very small version of a pro tenant of a facility. There's not one here. There's no college team playing here. This venue is truly a neutral site venue. You know, you think of Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas and you take the, you know, the Raiders out and take UNLV out. You know, they had about 1.1 million people, I want to say, in 2022 come through that building and, and tourism oriented 
you know, events, concerts, touring shows, international soccer matches, college football, et cetera. And, you know, that's, that's really good numbers for economic impact, you know, global exposure. That's what you're doing it for. And so um, that's our view there at Camping World. If we can work to see that the roster, we did about 25, uh, you know, uh, events, 28 event dates in 22, almost, you know, at 925,000 people through the property, we're really close. We believe when we're done with this next $400 million, that kind of million, million one um, attendees per year is what you want. And it'll be a diversity of things. You want to light up things that are going to drive sweet use and, and, of course, benefit the corporate partners that signed up to be on the building, drive some national, if not global media. International soccer does that. Um, you'd like to check all those boxes, but, you know, kind of hitting the outer rings of the bullseye is good too. Um, but in the end, you're trying to drive it people into Orlando, staying in hotel rooms, turning on TV sets. If you can do that, large or small, um, you'll do it. And, and and the hope is you'll have north of a million people a year on campus. And you're starting to answer my next question there, which is about, you know, you already spent $260 million on Camping World Stadium, another $400 million coming. It sounds like this isn't just, you know, we need to fix the plumbing, you know, the place is falling apart. It's, you know, taking it to the next level as a venue. Oh, absolutely. And if you look at it kind of from the, you know, from the ground up, I mean, you're talking new building from the ground up and we just started it, unfortunately, in 2016, didn't do it all at one time. We needed to kind of make our way through um, to, you know, essentially what'll be probably 25, 26, you know, if, if all goes well here to where we'll, it will have taken that period of time to do the building. And so top to bottom, new building, none of that left from 1937, 1970, any of the other iterations, kind of like a lot of college buildings, it got built up around itself over those years because of the growing demand for live sports entertainment. Um, so totally scraping that to the earth and rebuilding it has been a journey, but it's one that, you know, if you, but for the number of suites it takes to have an NFL franchise annually, um, you know, the rest, when you think the neutral site use, the one-off use of premium inventory, club seats, suites, that's how we've built our buildings, how we're building our building. And when you think of the campus and you think of the investments in the park on the north, $10 million, you think of what the indoor space will be, you think field house, but not for practice, more like the star is for, for Dallas. Um, you know, it, it, that interactivity and those major components necessary to host huge neutral site events, that's what our building's going to be built for. Um, and we're really proud of that. We think, you know, again, we'd love to have two, $3 billion building, but Orlando, in my view, is a two or $3 billion hospitality destination. And so you get 120,000 hotel rooms, you know, all the best major theme parks on the planet, um, all that comes with that. All we need to do is provide the assets necessary to have that great experience for fans, the core economic pieces for that promoter, and we'll be just we'll be just fine. And my understanding is that you're getting funding for this from the Orange County Tourism Task Force. Um, how do you convince them not just that it's worth it for you, but it's worth it for them to spend you know this, these tax dollars on this? Yeah, well, you know, first and foremost, we're, you know, we're a not for profit entity that's bent on doing economic impact, right? So we're, we're not that it's bad to be any other type of structure or, or a professional franchise or anything else, right? They look at us as, you know, in some ways, teammates of the community who's here to say, this is what it takes to compete for visitation business. And there's one thing that Orlando understands is visitation. You know, it's the most visited destination in, in, probably on the planet, but certainly in the U.S. And, and you're approaching 80 million people a year. Um, so the stadium's a piece of that, right? Just like the convention center 
cameras and anything else. So they're going to make sound investments that, um, you know, you, they believe in what it's doing. 650 plus million a year, 2 trillion impressions globally in 2022. That's business they know you need to invest in to support and compete. And I think they believe in, as I do, that, again, you'd, you'd love to have a multi-billion dollar building, but you should be able to compete with less with Orlando. And, and so they bought into that. I think mostly what people are proud of is the fact that we committed ourselves to saying that that stadium somehow, some way could you, know, you often hear if you build this here, our, our zip codes around our stadium are, are underinvested historically. It's a, a depressed a developmental area, very proud historic neighborhoods. But uh, we thought the stadium could be a beating heart and energy source. And it has been, you know. 20, in the last 10 years, we've done $120 million of mixed income, affordable housing, health and wellness assets and buildings, um, boys and girls clubs, state-of-the-art early education facilities, on and on and on. And that, that, that energy, that story between a sports and entertainment venue and a neighborhood, many of which these players play in uh, our games, look at that. Say, I grew up in a neighborhood like West Lakes, and now they, they believe in that story. So I think that our community is very proud of that, in addition to the fact that it, it's it's a return on investment for the tourism dollars is, is obviously there. All right. Um, Steve Hogan, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Appreciate you having me. That's it for today. If at this moment you are looking at Apple Podcasts or whichever app you use, drop us a rating. It's always appreciated. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on Monday.